0: This is Ellie Newman, and you're listening to It's Relationship. My guest today is John DeSando, professor, radio host, personality, and film critic. And we'll be discussing his deep and very prolific relationship to film. Welcome, John.
1: Well, Welcome, Ellie. It's great to be here.
0: Thanks for joining us today. John received his B.A. in English from Georgetown University and M.A. and Ph.D. from the University of Arizona. He's a professor of humanities and prior academic vice president at Franklin University, where he currently teaches film, pop culture, and graduate studies. Are you still teaching? i, I got no, this I'm off not. your site, so yeah, I thought very good. that may be not still accurate. Do you think I
1: should go back to that site and maybe fix it well, up? Because
0: no, you know, you're busy now, <laughs> I know so that, no. And that's
1: the reason I'm not anymore, but it was just recently, so you're in good stead. All right, okay,
0: we're in, we're in good stead there then. Enough, yeah. Close enough. Yes. Uh, John is the recipient of numerous awards. He received the Bailey Graduate Teaching Award in 2010. He was awarded the Los Angeles Press Club's first place National Entertainment Journalism Award for Best Radio Feature. Yes. As well as a number, a large number of other re- awards recognizing his excellence in radio and film critique. And I'm not done yet. Oh, my. Is <laughs> on the boards <laughs> of Actors Theater, Shadowbox Live, Early Music of Columbus, Gateway Film Center, and the Crichton Club? And those those may have varied. He may have dropped some and added no, others. No, you're, you're right on. The only right one
1: on I it. recently dropped was Actors Theater.
0: Okay, so this is why he hasn't updated the website, and <laughs> yeah, I think I that's just fine. I'm so glad I
1: came all the way to Sun Valley <laughs> to find out that I need to upgrade that. <laughs>
0: you're gonna, We're all going to learn something here. He is also the host, and this is our, our main topic of conversation WCBE's 90.5 FMs, It's Movie Time, also Cinema Classics and On the Marquee.
1: And I've dropped On the Marquee.
0: Okay, so that's gone too. No, yeah, well, right. All right. No problem. But we still might want to talk about it because you, you did do that. I did do so, that. So we well, exactly. might want to know like why you dropped I it would. and what, why it, it got lost. It out has of its own thing. interest, yes. All right. So I want to begin, though, with what drew you to film. And so, in a start in the days of your childhood, uh, what were your early childhood movie experiences?
1: Well, when I was growing up, the, the premier genre was Westerns. And very much like the landscape you have here, I was intrigued by the cinematography of the West and by the kind of macho idealism of Westerns. So, I was enthralled by them, and uh, that was an interest in my life to the point that uh, it was an avocation uh, where I would talk about movies with anybody I met and so on, never being an expert. But being somewhat an expert in English literature, the transition, as you can tell, is very easy. It's both storytelling.
0: And, and what age did this start?
1: Oh, well, my uh, my very young years were just enthralled with, I think, the visual splendor of uh, cinematography. And then, as I became... Uh, more interested in language and in storytelling, uh, it switched as I saw that movies were really just another form of drama, which I love very much and was involved in. So, all of Do those, you
0: like your drama or other people's drama uh, we, better? We
1: provide both, <laughs> Ellie. At, at my house, and you know, you know, my daughter. There's no, no, no little drama in all of you our lives. You may
0: prefer one to the other, though. That may be. A, we may have got a key here to, oh, the, Ellie, to the passion.
1: That is, uh, that's a great question. People frequently ask me. You know John, you know you love theater, I believe me, I eat up the theater in Columbus, Ohio, but yet I watch these movies, and which one would you take and Ellie? that's a question I cannot answer i my my love of live theater with human beings acting out the great pageant of life there on a stage is is unparalleled, but yet I see some cinematography that leaves me speechless that that more or less reflects what's going on in the drama of that film, and I'm wondering to myself. This surely, and I I can make this statement and everyone would agree, the most powerful uh, form of art in the history of Western civilization is motion pictures.
0: And why do you think that is? Uh, It's
1: because it combines so many, but but because Mm -hmm. when I travel, for instance, and I can go to anywhere, I remember being in Guatemala, talking to someone who was a local, but yet who had seen so many American movies, we immediately started talking, and American movies are such a powerful presence in the world, it's an easy bridge to make. Even if they are action films, you can still talk about them, but what... Um, Gary Wills once said and I believe he's right you can take away all the paintings in every museum in the world and you'd hear barely a ripple you took away motion pictures and there'd be a rebellion worldwide it is such an influence on everyone's life so to me it's an art form right there are bad movies but there are beautiful movies right they...
0: and do you think because it is film because it's moving because it's visual because what are what are the elements of it do you think that make it so distinctive well
1: in comparison uh, yeah, to other it, art surely art you caught what I think is its premier accent, which is the visual, but it's not just because it's beautiful photography, which it can be. Uh, it's because very frequently good filmmakers can match their mood and their meaning with their visual. And this is something that in the stage production you really can't do. I mean, I my, uh, my favorite pieces are, say, from Beckett, where you have just a box on the stage, but you have a couple of guys talking. That's all I need, dialogue. I'm a word person. But when you take and add to it a dimension of visual, whereby you can also use that cut to say the mind of someone uh, where you can juxtapose images to enhance meaning so obviously the metaphoric qualities You can
0: skip within time e- much more easily And you can
1: oh and absolutely do that and with very little uh, of an indication to your audience who know right away the transition you're making
0: So maybe even it's more reflective of how our brains actually work in process because I mean, I it has all those elements to it. Well,
1: And I, that's, a, that's a great point. Uh, it really can mirror that kind of quick cutting that our minds would do. Uh, and that's what I love about it. It's absolutely stunning. If you take something like gravity, and you have any idea what it means to be weightless in space, Quaron did a magnificent, genial job. Of making you feel as if you were right there with Sandra Bullock and George Clooney, right there
0: floating around in space. And with the immediacy of whatever was happening.
1: And you as bet. Well. And with the, the of course, the, the, the danger that accompanies it. it, I mean, it never even, and if you see how he did it in a quite complex way, in which he put people underwater, in which he made them appear uh, to have no gravity, and it's just astonishing what in the end they can do.
0: So as a kid, would you say this was a passion or an obsession? And was it supported by your family?
1: It was neither. Uh, It was just something that was a part of my life. It was, along with stage uh, productions... The, the, the real cultural part of my life, I believe, as they were for many kids growing up in, say, the 60s, 50s and 60s, uh, where it was, certainly we had no Internet. We had nothing like this to amuse You had amuse Saturday us. cinema. And you, boy, did you hit that right. And you had this social event of a double feature uh, with a cliffhanger and so on, all that, and walking up and down the aisle and talking to everybody and so on. You had a Did real fine. Did Beast run at your head? <laughs> yes. Sat in exactly. the front? Yeah, for sure. So all of that was not an obsession. It was just simply a strong part of my cultural life.
0: I'm wondering if it became an obsession, but that, again, we're going to discuss later, so don't answer that yet. So I want to talk a little bit about what the path to becoming a film critic looks like in general and what
1: your particular path looked like. No, you do, do have good questions. No wonder you're good at this. Yes, that's a great question. What really happened is that um, in in pursuing my interest in literature and Uh, I I came to Franklin University as a vice president, but I also wanted to keep teaching because I had been a humanities teacher and literature had been my primary uh, responsibility. And you enjoy speaking. And and I do like that very much too. So what happened was that... uh, I was able to teach a film appreciation course at that university because there was no, there were no experts there on that. Not For instance, my, uh, my neighbor, Ohio State University, uh, it would be impossible for me to teach a film appreciation course. There are way too many experts already in that. But in a, in a, in a different kind of, of college and university uh, where people have different skills but they're not uh, extremely honed, I was able to sneak in there and teach that. And the the difference between teaching film appreciation and literature is small, as long as you have that word appreciation on there, because I don't, I don't pretend to be able to tell you how to make a movie. But I surely can tell you what I have to go through as a film critic, and basically what I do is I say, I say to myself, where does this director want me to go with a film? And then I'm able to make a comment upon how successful he or she is in doing that. And I can talk a little bit of the film language, but basically it's storytelling, Ellie.
0: And are you judging when, you, when you're critiquing a film? Are you judging it on the whole film, or is it good enough for you if parts of the film are fabulous? Yeah.
1: Um, well, that's two, and that's two elements of what, what I do. First of all, I'm an optimistic critic. When I go in to, uh, to look at a film, I am very excited about where I am going to be going with that film. And I'm just ready for that journey. And do you
0: have a, a perception prior to sitting down as to where it it should be or might be taking right. you?
1: The only thing I, because I'm able to select the films that I critique, I do have some notion of a quality about that film. Uh, now and then I have to do schlocky movies just to establish my cred, so I can give them a bad grade and everybody thinks I'm a good critic. But basically, I'm going to be choosing films that I would award a B or an A to, not because I'm easy, but because initially I pick ones that I think are going to be I think are going to be good, but I don't. So
0: you've carried your academic standards along. This film's <laughs> oh, yeah. getting a grade. It's not getting thumbs up, thumbs down, yes or no, A, B, C, D, E, <laughs> F.
1: Ellie, I fought that. I fought that in the Star System uh-huh. for a couple of years. I'd like to be like the New York Times, where you have to read and draw your inferences and so on, because they're not going to tell you what, how many stars. Are. But I discovered that a radio audience, for instance, in the end, wants to know what your grade is. And when I talk to people who've listened to the show, they will tell me, well, you gave it a B, and I thought that was good enough for me to go. And so, so
0: with that, what do you see as the film critic's role? What, what are you providing for the, the public?
1: Well, an intermediary between the filmmakers and the audience, and somebody, and, and I fashion my shows on the fact that they're accessible. That is, that they're, they're just as if you and I talked about a movie that we had both seen, and there are certain elements, you suggested them. for The theme, for instance, is very important to me, but it was always in literature, too. Is there an overall theme here that is supported by the individual shots and sequences of that film? So I do have a standard I bring into it, which is a kind of unity in that film an organic unity that, that you would expect of any good piece of literature. So it's, unless it's, a, it's broken up into segments of stories like Love Actually or something like that, but yet Love Actually is also about the vagaries of love and falling in love and so on. So if you take each section, the filmmaker has an overall perception of what he or she is presenting, and I've inferred that.
0: And do you have to have enjoyed it to give it an A? I was thinking about the connection with literature, and I was thinking, I've just been reading this book, and it's been a struggle because it's beautifully written. It's beautifully told. The theme is fabulous, but it's painful. The, the, it, it's heart-wrenching and painful. And so can you give something an A without having actually enjoyed the experience? Yes,
1: and I've worked my lifetime to get to that point, to remove myself enough to say, even though I didn't enjoy it it's a magnificent piece, for instance, I did not necessarily enjoy Under the Skin with Scarlett Johansson, which is a new science fiction film. Uh, What they have done is taken the story and and really excised most of the explanatory material. So it's not, uh, it it, it is maybe an hour into the film or so before you know that she's actually an alien, um, seducing men so that they can use the Aliens can use their body parts uh, for delicacies. But you don't know that, and the filmmaker's been, been obscure about doing that because really what she is is an alien. She's like, uh, as one critic said, uh, we're all aliens in disguise. So she's an alien in disguise, and metaphorically it really works very nice. So, but Ellie, I'm going to tell you, I will, I, I will award that an A-, but I will warn my friends and my listeners that it's not an easy movie nor definitely isn't one you're going to be chuckling through. You're going to be scratching your head through it, although you know something beautiful is going on visually and figuratively. Uh, in the end, I will express what that challenge is correct. It was the same way with Terrence Malick's Tree of Life, which I really love, which is highly figurative. His, I mean, he matches his mood and his meaning to his visuals. so that It's crushingly beautiful, but at the same time, anybody who isn't, who hasn't been training himself or herself for a long time in uh, the way at which artists reflect so subtly in their work, <laughs> It's going to be exasperating. So yes, uh, indeed. But but uh, he
0: gets an A because he accomplished what he had set out to do in a, in a way that was, was well done.
1: It is accomplished for me, Ellie, and that's a very important concept. I try not to say what I think the filmmaker wanted to do because if they're really good artists, they're not going to tell you.
0: And I heard you say you don't take notes during the, yes, the film. Yes, And are you thinking about the review while you're watching it?
1: Uh, uh, you know, it happens um, naturally. In fact, I've tried to go to some movies and say that I'm not going to review them. <laughs> You tell yourself that lie. I tell myself I am going to just enjoy this movie, and I'll be darned if I can't go home and I have to write about it. And I swear to my friends and everybody, I said, "Look, I'm going just to enjoy. I'm not. I'm not working here." And but.
0: And do they believe you? Because I'm thinking, if you're a food critic, can you really eat a meal without thinking about not. the critique you would write if you were writing one? Well,
1: of course not. It's the tip of how I like to delude myself to think. I can. It's
0: good though. We need, we need that. I know. So you mentioned a little bit, you're involved in all sorts of medium in connection with film criticism. Right. And there's writing, there's radio, there's internet, there's video. I'm wondering sort of where you started and how much that's changed with new media and if there are some forms you prefer to others and, and if it really is different working in those different mediums. Yeah.
1: Um, first of all, as a teacher of film appreciation, for instance, in, say, the early 80s, I had to show students the films in class or arrange a time when they could see them. Really annoying. For instance, I took a uh, graduate class at Ohio State University in filmmaking and there was a European filmmaker who was a teacher and I want to tell you about Exasperation because half that class was watching that movie and I was so irritated. But within a few years, VHS came out and I was able to take home a film, look at it, segmented. I was able to tell my students, you will see this movie by the time you have come to class. And it's their obligation before they take it. They know they have to. And now, of course, with DVD and now with streaming and everything else, you go into a class, you do not have to waste a second with their watching the movie, except for the scenes that you want to uh, explore with them in class. They will have seen the movie before they come to class. Ali, this is like such a change in the way you could teach and... and and enjoy film now so bring it up to today uh where i find it extremely helpful is that there is so much available even on youtube where you can find segments very important for me to to get down to a film to look at particular scenes so i'm
0: going to interrupt you for a second because i've been debating is he a purist is he more (laughs) of a scientist here (laughs) You don't need to be sitting in the theater with your popcorn watching the movie for it to be a complete experience. Oh,
1: oh, okay. I'm talking merely in the way in which I would share it with others on the radio or in the classroom. That is, they will – many of them will have seen it. Right, right. So we can talk about it. Exactly. Uh, And and, and
0: for you, is that giving it its its full – possibility and credential like is that good enough because if you really just focus more on the the theme and the production and did they get there then yes it you know on the the computer or at home really wouldn't make a difference so i was just sort of sussing that out for you personally well one
1: of my strengths is that i'm able to get back into a film to defend whatever thesis i make and to support and to question others who will be enjoying it with me because, as you're suggesting, no, it's not just about overall theme, although I believe that that's very, very helpful for artistic integrity. What I do think, however, is that, and what I hope for people who study it and listen to our shows and so on, is that it gets them to think differently. You're a true academic. <laughs> I know that. And that's your slant. <laughs> but, Ellie, that's great. Here, but how many times have you and I gone into a party, for instance, and said, hey, Did you see 12 Years a Slave? Yeah. It was great, man. And then you're off to get another margarita or do something else, and that's it. That's That's the conversation. It was good, man. It was really great. Did you see them slash her up? Yeah. And that's it. So what you hope for is to have a more substantial argument that will eventually, and here's where my strength is, get back into the film and to try to support. And somebody might ask me, hey, what about that scene, da-da-da? I didn't understand it. And I might try to integrate that into our discussion, or say it was inscrutable, inscrutable to me. I really believe uh, that the filmmaker just found a beautiful shot because I can't for the life of me figure out why, why he didn't in included there. that in there. Uh, and I try not to be the pure academic who would extract meaning from that. And people would raise their eyebrows and say, you, you're kidding me. You can't be serious that you got that. Out. I have to make sure that it, it, it makes sense in what we've said about the film.
0: And have you ever found yourself either desperately wanting to or actually contacting a, a producer, a director, a writer, a cinematographer and saying, okay, you just must explain to me, you know, why was this scene in there or this ending or what did what did this, you know, am I right on this this is what that meant?
1: Well, first of all, I've been contacted by producers who will either thank me or question something that I've said or done, and I'm, that's invaluable. And I have, I have listeners. And do
0: you feel a responsibility when you're giving your criticism as to the effect it may have on that movie
1: oh you bet and that's and we're there for that and that's why we get courted by uh studios and so on and we get fed and we get there, and individuals on and because they're hoping for that and i'm willing in other words i'm a great critic for that because i'm although i'm not easy i'm very willing you're fair oh i i'm trying i'm trying to be fair but to get back to your question one of you can imagine the delight I have in talking to a filmmaker and having a question for a filmmaker. And this will happen at film festivals, and particularly at the Toronto Film Festival, which is very uh, audience appreciative and which many directors will attend. So one of my favorite directors, a British director, Mike Lee, who did Secrets and Lies and other films, had a, had, had a, had a scene in a film that was well maybe arguable as to why he included it. And I was able to ask him the question. He said, strange, you should ask me. I was just talking to my cinematographer about that scene. Now, he said, here's why I included that scene. And it, what he wanted to do was to discomfort the audience. And it was, it was a, a very happy-go-lucky was the name of it. And, and the lead actress was a really, really sweetheart, but naive. And yet, she, at night, she walked in she walked in, and happened to see a homeless person. And walked over to help him in the dark of night in this remote spot, and it is so dangerous. But typical of her, and he said what he want, and everything else has been pretty safe. So he said what he wanted to do was to discomfort the audience and let them know that her naivety could lead her into some very serious problem. It was excellent. And, and he had another one that I asked him about. I didn't ask. I think an audience member asked him about it. He said he knew that he'd have trouble with that one. Here's why. I mean, Ellie, this is like I'm dying. A highlight. I'm dying right there on the spot. This is actually somebody talking about his own shot, his own scene, and why he included it. Because he has no obligation to explain it to me. In other words, I look at his film as a work of art. complete it is complete work of art and what i take from that it doesn't it's like frost said to somebody come up to him after he after he read a poem and the lady asked him what did you mean by that da? -da?" he said what do you think i meant And she said da -da -da." he said that's what i meant (laughs) right you know right the the
0: audience's (laughs) interpretation right the filmmaker's
1: irrelevant but if you're fortunate enough to get one who will actually talk about his her, her work oh my gosh yeah So, yes.
0: (laughs) All right. Well, we're going to take a short break. This is Ellie Newman on It's Relationship. I'm here with John DeSando. We'll be right back. All right. We're back. This is Ellie Newman on It's Relationship. I'm here with film critic and much more, John DeSando. (laughs) And, John, I just want to go a little bit back to I interrupted you when we were talking about the new media and how much that has been helpful in Teaching, you're, you're teaching the kids and having them be able to see the film how has it affected you you know you went sort of from writing I think film yes. criticism and then radio and now you're doing videos is there one medium that you prefer over the other
1: <laughs> the best of all Ellie is the one we're doing uh, and uh, <laughs> radio is such a personal medium It is it is so private between the two of us and Person who's listening out there, whoever that might be, right, 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 maybe two, but anyway, but it is such a private thing, and as you and I both know, we can look like hell when we come in. Doesn't make any difference. I don't what we look know like. though.
0: My first day at the <laughs> station, my husband said, "What are you going to wear?" And I looked at him and I said, "It's radio." He said, "Oh, it matters." <laughs> and I thought yeah, he's right; it doesn't matter. Uh, well,
1: now that I put a video component on my show, it shows, matters much more. It does matter, and it reminds me how you know you have to worry about what you wear and what you look like. <laughs>
0: well, and, and and then you had mentioned that before you would go get a cup of coffee, and people would rec- you know, say, "Oh, I recognize your voice." That's well, correct. now they're recognizing more yeah. than your voice. And I had been
1: on television for a while doing this uh, and for did ten you, years. Did you? And that's
0: more a while you're yeah, yeah, right a substantial and, amount of right. time and
1: even recently and people and of course many more people recognize you than they do for radio but um but for me because you've had to worry about the visual it's probably the opposite argument we had about um film and its strength the point the point is it can be a real negative because we're such a visual and sometimes superficial culture that what you look like actually makes a difference so radio reduces it to hey It's Ellie and John. It's the radio show, and it's exactly what they say and how they say it and who cares what they look like because I'm listening. It's like the the thing you most wanted when you you talk to somebody is that they would listen to what you say. Just listen and be heard.
0: And is your approach to the criticism different? When you're sitting down and you're writing about a film, are you taking a different approach sort of mentally than you would be when you're talking about and having a conversation about a film?
1: Uh, I can start out by having an overarching uh, reaction to the film and making some sometimes smart aleck remark to catch somebody who's listening to catch their attention, uh, but at the same time to give that overlay of unity at the beginning and then begin to get into the film and its historical and its cultural references and the actual uh, figurative nature of that particular piece. So I can in my in writing and in presenting it on the radio, I can move in as I want into that topic. Now if you and I are having dinner and we're just talking about many things, I can't begin I could with you, but with most people, I can't begin by saying, you know that film was about da-da-da and make some great thematic statement. I can't do that. I have to ease into our conversation with that and because I do this for a living I am not going to come in marching in and start dictating or whatever. In other words, start sounding like like a pure uh, film critic or academic or so on. I want to move into that. I want to draw out. I want to see how much Ellie knows about movies. I want to see if Ellie has seen this movie. And I really want, I will actually not try to say anything until I hear what... Ellie has to say about it. And then I'll try to move in there. I mean, after all, you know, I'm like...
0: Well, and it's a different skill as well. You're not then controlling the path of the conversation as well, whereas where you're writing, you dictate the beginning, the middle, and Got the it. end, and you, you control the message.
1: Exactly. You aren't
0: controlling the message in a conversation. Exactly.
1: And what you're hoping for is that you have a difference of opinion so that the two of you can explore that. That's what I was going to ask,
0: because it seems that your career, you have made choices now to be in conversation. And I want to talk a little bit about that. The other thing it seems to to connote is that you have to have some skills that maybe one wouldn't think. You have to have a great memory. I was listening to a show you did on composers, and you especially were rattling off yes. a composer after composer, and the films they were in, the scores that they mm-hmm. did, and what were the highlights and what were the lows. Right.
1: Right. and do you of, do
0: mental calisthenics? <laughs> well, <laughs> that that, going?
1: You know, there are a couple of uh, ways of looking at that. First of all, with the number of years that I've been involved, it's not, I'm not a stranger to many of the things we're talking about. But when you're talking about composers, and we're doing a show this week on cinematographers, for instance, uh, I, like you, have to do my homework. I have friends who can rattle that stuff off like you won't believe. My memory is an impressionistic memory. I can tell you how I felt, what the milieu was like and so on, but the actual details, Ellie, I have to work at. So for this show we're doing next week on Cinematographers, I found a site that had the 50 greatest cinematographers, and I was able to call from that Ones that's, oh, yeah, I forgot him. Oh, yeah, I forgot that. But when it comes And then off,
0: all the other synapses start firing. Exactly, exactly. Connection. And, and
1: because I have such a familiarity with them, it sounds as if it just comes right out of you, this, this giant brain that's spilling on But no, it's that, that the synapses were created before the show, just as you had made these. And I have to say to the audience here, I've rarely encountered anybody who has as great questions as Ellie, so you're all very lucky to have her. But, uh, Ellie, that and to create those connections but as you know uh, people hear you and oh ellie that is so easy i think i could do that no you couldn't and just do you work at it yes you do and are you getting better yes do you listen to yourself unfortunately you have to and say to yourself i'm not doing that again and i am going to try to da 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 we're always working at getting better and it is it is always i think it is always hard work and I thank you for that comment. And in fact, the show you were uh, you were talking about for composers is an excellent example of where yes, I knew some, uh, but many of them I had to dig out out of the internet, which is the great gift to those of us who do research. Just. Google and un- it Unbelievable Oh unbelievable Nowadays
0: had... you can't imagine Doing some of the things oh. What did I how, What did I do before oh, I called my, my mother Because you know But you know Everyone doesn't have That
1: option Yeah Yeah yeah. So so yes um, There's a lot of research That goes in And you hope That it sounds smooth enough That you sound brilliant That it's coming Right out of you But of course it's coming Now my other My other partner Johnny Loretto, Has a kind of memory That he could drag that out But he's You know He's always looking At my notes too Right Yeah you know?
0: Right. Yeah. We'll, we'll see how he's doing in about 10 or 20 years. All right. So I want to talk about that a bit. That's your uh, show with the Cinema Classics. Yes. And it is an award winning yes. Cinema Classics discusses great movies then and now from films, genres, directors and actors to everything else in between. The hosts don't always agree, but they're always fun and informative. And that's with Johnny Diloretto. Yes. So I want to talk a little bit about that relationship that you have with Johnny and then yes. with some of your other co-hosts. And Is it now a preference to work with someone and have the conversation rather than to to do it on your own?
1: Ellie, it scares the heck out of me to think that I might have to do even a five-minute show by myself. Why? Because I couldn't do it? No. I could do it, but I think I'm boring as heck by myself. I'm probably not, but that's the way I see it. I have grown so attached to co-hosts that, Ellie, I couldn't even think of not doing it. Now, there's two ways of looking at this. With Johnny DiLoretto, who is also a television personality and so on, and a brilliant guy, uh, we have been doing it for five years, and it's like we just began. There's so much enthusiasm between the two of us. In such a gulf, he's 30 years younger than I, so there's a very nice break in that. We have a terrific synergy. Now, what I discovered in an, uh, my permanent co-host, who was also a television anchor and was unable to complete the because uh, to, sit, to take another year because of her increasing responsibilities at the station, I then was faced with what am I going to do? I began to be reluctant about engaging another co-host for a long haul, and I, at the encouragement of some friends, I started to get people that I knew could talk about him. And Ellie, I now have twelve to fifteen people, and I call upon each one of them for their. I know they have a particular interest and, in and expertise. And so, for
0: a particular film, even down to Got that, it.
1: yes. Yes, exactly. And what a delight that it has been. It has brought enthusiasm to my show. It has brought new listeners because their friends and their colleagues want to hear what our show sounds like. So I'm extending my little NPR show. I'm extending it to people who might never tune in or go online to hear it uh, before, but because my co-host has been so and so, they're going to do that. So it has increased that, but most of all, uh, I have and, I, and I've discovered that many people I know even closely, talk film when I discovered that I have twelve to fifteen of them who are verbal and they can talk about it. I said, Where did I find these people? They're my friends. And we're not well, nerdy about it. Right. Not we're not nerdy about it. It just happens to be that they're they're highly educated in many cases and they are they have Uh, a a wide variety of interests. And films is always, for at least the people I hang out with, always an interesting topic. So anyway, yes.
0: You're you're a lucky man. Yeah, (laughs) And through that conversation, I'm thinking there really are sort of then two distinct forms of film criticism. Because as you said, the New York Times, that writes a criticism, and you're meant to read the whole thing and sort of think about the intellectual elements of even their criticism versus the conversation. And not that that's not intellectual, but that it's a very different
1: form absolutely because i want to engage my audience in a conversation about it obviously i've seen it and i've had more experience than many although our audience for our npr audience is 75 percent educated so they're uh college educated so there there are people from whom you can throw out ideas and they'll be and references they'll be you bet and references and so on they will be delighted even if they don't know it They'll they'll look at it. They'll themselves. Google it. They'll Google they'll Google it. So uh, so but Ellie, for instance, early on, um, maybe at the stage where you are, for instance, I discovered that I can't speak in periodic sentences. This is what I mean. I love a long sentence with several clauses in it, and I like to to wait for the big bang, the major clause in the end. And I discovered very early, you can't do that, or people will turn you or change that station immediately. So I have to speak often in simple sentences or compound sentences at most. And it's not dull. It's just that they're listening. They're driving. They're da they And know, you've
0: got five minutes. And
1: you've got five minutes. And you just don't. And, but even then, if you have extended sentences, they're going to drift off. And so but these are the things that that we know now because we've been doing it. But there are the kind of things that I have to learn to adjust. And it has, and it has nothing to do with snobbishness or anything else about it. It's, we're talking. We're communicating.
0: Well, and these new brains are wired differently. Oh, you know, and they've this. done studies that with the kids. The, the way that they focus, what they're focused on, they're, uh, the time frames that they can remain on one topic, it's, it's really oh, incredible. And
1: that's a great point. And, of course, with the, uh, the short attention spans for all of us. And the quick cutting. Ours are
0: for a different reason. Yes, it is. But it's still, <laughs> we're,
1: we're, we're influenced by MTV and quick cutting and so on. And, and so
0: and, how did your relationship with John begin? How did you two find well, each other? Well, um,
1: when we were early film critics, Johnny was writing for a local alternative paper. And we were just starting. I was just starting as a filmmaker. He was the coolest guy in the room. Immediately had to go over and say hello to him and so on, so we became fast friends. Then he was serendipitously engaged to do do a television show and he started to become very locally famous and so on and We continued to be friends uh, he was I asked him to be uh, to start this cinema classic show with me because he was such a great personality and because he was so bright and because he really has an expertise in american films and i my show uh, our show, Cinema Classes, can't really be uh, heavily international films because Johnny hasn't seen as many of those. Is that? And because our audience would be somewhat remote, even the highly educated audience we have, for those people who love international films or indie films and so on, is a small segment of that. So we frequently go to topics. For instance, this week, besides the cinematographers, we're also going to be doing another week on John Wayne. No, Back to
0: your roots, I, you're
1: right? And and for Johnny, doesn't have to prepare. Now I have to prepare, but Johnny doesn't. He's thirty years younger than I am.
0: Isn't he the quintessential Western guy?
1: Uh, well, he is, and you and, and and you you hit him right, man. He he he's a he's also a Clint Eastwood aficionado. You know, you can just you can just tell who he is. He's a rough and ready guy, but he's very bright. And very. so, do
0: you guys? Did you think about it beforehand? Do you have a shtick? Did it happen before? Do you have one now? Do you guys agree to be agreeable or agree to be contrary, or does do you just let it flow?
1: Well, let me give you a little bit of history on it's movie time, and where I had uh, Clay Lowe as a uh, as a partner. He was the chair of photography and cinema at Ohio State University. Very knowledgeable, terrific, beautiful voice, and so on. We initially had started even tacitly agreeing to, to somewhat disagree, and people seemed to like that, that we'd go after each other and so on. Um, what I discovered, Ellie, is that I can't fake it. That I yeah, can't... I
0: think with Siskel and Ebert, that was real. Yes, you know, exactly. and I mean, they had a long relationship, and I think cared about one another. But I think from the get-go, yes. those two disagree on pretty much everything.
1: And my, my my challenge with my co-hosts is that all of us are well-educated, all of us have sensibility, and many of us have similar tastes in films, so that we can't. I look for the day when I might award a movie an A and a co-host, and just recently I did have that, had a C, and I was ecstatic. Because I hate when we both do A, A minus B, you know, we're so close, but that's because that's the way, you know. That's you, what's
0: authentic, that's and, right. and then you focus on the subtleties. Yes,
1: exactly. So uh, so I'm hoping for that, but what it comes out to is a, is a truly authentic experience where what I say, what my co-host says, is really what they believe. It's not contrived, though that was a consideration in order to keep it an entertaining show.
0: And did you try it? I'm guessing Uh, it would fall
1: flat. You know, I had it in the back of my mind, and everybody loved it when I was naughty and doing that. But I quickly discovered I can't do anything but what I really think. And and I knew that I would have better ratings if we fought with each other more. But I couldn't do it. You know, it seems.
0: It. it seems maybe the the judges have a different idea since the shows won the L.A. Press Club, oh, yes. the Mark Com, exactly. the Silver Microphone, the Communicator. Yes, they creative honors. Yeah. So it's, it, well, it's a success,
1: right? And we've been on for thirteen years, and you know we've done something successful. But I think about your question. I think about that regularly. You know, exactly. For instance, when you know I'm putting now video on, um, I'll get it on YouTube and put it in, embed it in our website. Uh, for the, the video portion, which would be ten to fifteen minutes, would be original, raw, almost raw, and then the radio show, which is five minutes, and the NPR show. And so, uh, you know, I'm constantly thinking about, well, what will what will jazz this up? What will really make? And you know what? The the biggest mistake I make, which I won't change, is that nobody, I mean, very few. 50 people, for instance, may watch that show, but 10, 15 minutes is way too long for mm-hmm. YouTube.
0: Right, <laughs> way too Right, right, right. Even shorter attention span. Oh. But it was a good 10 or 15 minutes. <laughs> exactly. If only they would have stayed. It would have been <laughs> worth it. And so how is um, It's Movie Time similar or, or different?
1: Well, It's Movie Time takes movies that are coming out now. Um So current. Uh, Current ones. I try for for our Friday shows to have a film that's opening up
0: that Friday. And you mentioned, you know, the film you were talking about, the scene you got to speak with the the filmmaker about um, wanting to make the audience uncomfortable. It seems I was looking at the ones you had reviewed in the last few weeks, and I thought many of those films, it seems that was the one of the main uh, ideas was to make the audience quite uncomfortable. Yeah. Is that, do you think is that sort of modern filmmaking?
1: Well, that's modern good filmmaking. It's not always, I mean, we're going to have Spider-Man coming up. How, you know, how tough is that going to be? I mean, uh, how, it's how demanding?
0: Quite darker, though. I progressively, <laughs> which so, that, so did Batman. I know. And the Harry Potter books and films. I know.
1: And, and Captain can Am- nothing be nice? Yeah, and Captain America has its dark mm-hmm. spots. Yeah, you're right. And particularly Iron Man. Uh, they're all pretty. They're pretty dark, but they're just dark. You know, the cinematography is dark. And uh, but now and then you're going to get uh, uh, Robert Downey Jr. to toss off a really acerbic line. But basically, it's going to be what I consider bland or formulaic. You know what's going to happen. You know why it's going to happen. And that's, you know, that's and does that
0: serve a purpose?
1: Well, it, 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 it brings people into the art form on, an, on a low level. But in really exciting when you look at the CGI and you look at the things that are done masterfully on there. Uh, the formula part of it, which they basically have to follow in order to please its audience, it begins here with Spider-Man being not sure what he's doing, da-da-da. You have the girl who helps him out, da-da-da. And then you always have the one or two bad villains. And the, you know you know exactly how it's going to turn out. Well, that's
0: out. America, isn't it? It's just a difference, you know, if you're seeing a French film or an American <laughs> film. Because if it ends well and we leave happy, okay, it was American. If we walk out and say, really? Like, that either it was terrible or we aren't quite sure. Well, that was the French.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Good one. Good uh, one. We're really still teenagers in the grand scheme of filmmaking. We're still teenagers. We still love our visuals. Europeans are definitely (laughs) into character.
0: (laughs) And I must say, especially after I had kids, you know, I want to go to the movies. I want to escape. I want to have, be taken out of my life. Not have sort of heart-wrenching experiences drilled in deeply. And that's why I enjoy Captain America, for instance. I enjoy it.
1: It's not great filmmaking, but it's good filmmaking. And And that's the distinction.
0: (laughs) All right. We're going to take a short break. This is Ellie Newman, and I'm here on It's Relationship with John DeSando. And when we come back, we're going to talk about more his personal relationship to film. So stick with us. (laughs) All right. We're back. This is Ellie Newman on It's Relationship, and I'm here with John DeSando. And during the break, I was asking John if he still loves it as much as he did before. And the answer was a clear yes. He got all excited (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> about the show and about the films and how there's always something new. So I want to keep going with that and and talk about more sort of your relationship to movies. What do you have a favorite film?
1: Oh, uh, that's a question I can never answer, but I it's one I can get around. Perfect. Um, I can tell you what I believe the most influential movie of all time that isn't anybody's favorite movie, and that's Citizen Kane. Uh, I can tell you the most romantic movie for me. Which I believe also AFI says it's the most romantic movie of all time, but for me, is the best romance is Casablanca. So I can tell you ones, but don't I can't tell you what my favorite movie. I my favorite western. Do you think that's my favorite? I don't know. The Magnificent Seven.
0: And would Casablanca have been the same film if it were in color? Oh. I, I I heard another film oh. critic talking about that and oh. sort of colorization and and would it be? And their answer was a clear no. Do you oh, agree? Oh,
1: there. Uh, one of the most difficult uh, elements of my film course was bringing students, young students, into the black and white milieu. And I think that there is such a crispness about black and white. I think there is such a concentration on the conflict between good and evil, light and dark, in that that it's incomparable and it's beautiful. And people who watch more than one of those can understand that colorization i'm trying to think there was a colorization that was successful and i can't even think what it was in most cases it's deplorable because a good filmmaker is very aware of the of, the, of what kind of light is being presented on there and where the shadows are and for what reason they're there so when you take and colorize that person's work you're you're tampering with that person's work of art. What do you think? They don't. It doesn't. They count. didn't notice, right? right. <laughs> uh, in um, I always remember this is a great, uh, a great piece of business. When we when we look at the graduate with uh, <clears throat> as uh, Dustin Hoffman, is, uh, there Mike Nichols is a brilliant director. I don't believe he does anything, any shot in that that doesn't have meaning for the film. As Benjamin is walking down to the party, he on the top of the stairs, there is behind him ever so quickly a portrait. of of a clown. And so, did you imagine how exciting this is in film class? I'll run that, I'll say, well, what about that painting? And they'd say, what? What painting? And and I say, didn't you see it up there? So then I bring them back and they see it and it's quite clear. That Mike Nichols didn't call up properly. Hey, Sadie, you have something to put up on the wall? He said, I Anything want... Anything will right, do. Anything will do. No, I want a clown to be on there because it's clear uh, the reference I'm making to this young man who's going to be treated like a clown and so on. So anyway, yes.
0: So he's going to ask this question later, but I'm going to ask it now, what do you think about remakes? There has been in the last five, ten 10 years, a remake after remake after remake. There has.
1: Um, I mean, the classic example was maybe 10, 15 years ago i think uh um, somebody was making a uh, maybe a psycho remake it doesn't work for instance in a a, uh, uh, in in our cinema our local cinema johnny and i are doing a show we do a cinema classics every month this month we're doing annie hall and as we were talking about why that's a great romantic comedy one of the things we discovered uh, by the end was woody allen even um Uh, Midnight in Paris, which is one of my favorite films the last few years, doesn't quite measure up to Annie Hall. And why isn't it? As Johnny pointed out, and it's quite true, because it, it doesn't have Woody Allen and Diane Keaton in it. So try to think about the amalgam. When you put everything together, and it's like your question about Casablanca, would Ronald Reagan have been better? No, he would not have been. It's like
0: baking. The ingredients (laughs) matter. He's right, yes.
1: So, it's that, you know, that's that's what happens.
0: And do you think it's just laziness, or do you think it's sort of doing a cover of a song, oh, I could do that, which I don't think those are usually any comparison, um, that oh, I could do it better, or they should have done it this way, or is it really just, we could make a lot of money if we that was good, let's make one? Uh,
1: It's something I cannot answer other than to say I think it's Really dangerous to do it. A, a, a joke on the internet, a viral joke recently, which I sent around to my friends was uh, and it was on NPR, a report on April Fool's Day that Keanu Reeves had remade Citizen Kane. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> but Ellie, believe me, if you listen to this NPR snip, you would think it's true. And they had a photo you could send around to your friends of, of Reeves with Cinevacan... Cinevacan- well, Cinevacan- I've heard he's a
0: really nice guy. There's always people in the film business, you know, saying, he's, you know, he's not a great actor, but we really like working with mm-hmm. him.
1: Well, my daughter worked with him for a long time. And while he wasn't the smartest actor because she had to work with him every day, his heart was as big as the town of Sun Valley. Right. And the $50 million he made on Matrix, he spread around to the mm-hmm. crew and so on. Mm-hmm. Really, really wonderful guy, but a bad not a great actor yeah. and
0: and what about the sequel there are many of those these days as well or when the treacle are the, <laughs> well you know I, I, I,
1: let me look at a popular one let me look at the iron man franchise that gets better Yeah, you know, that's really good popular that's that's you know and i'm looking forward to spider man as much as i hate the relationship with his girlfriend and i think that really saps away energy from the film uh, it, is, it is good filming, and it's an attempt to, 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 to draw a character out over a long haul. So I really do like sequels, if they're well done.
0: I thought the second Star Wars, which is now the fifth Star Wars, was better than the first. Good for you, yes, yes.
1: And I get lost, and when you get three or four iterations, I get lost, other than I know I keep going, and I really love it.
0: So was there a movie that, that you loved and everyone else hated, and then one that everyone seemed to love and you hated?
1: Um, I I had loved, in the 90s, The Crying Game, and people just couldn't get around it. That's because the uh, transgender business wasn't full-blown. It was a great film. Yeah, it was a great film. Uh, And I had to bring a lot of people in to see that and into my thinking about that film. And after a while, you began to see that it was truly... Truly a brilliant film. Um,
0: in a film that, that the populace loved. I remember there was the book of Bridges of Madison County, and everyone loved it. And I thought it was the Words <laughs> messages oh, on relationships. Oh, and is. so I'm wondering if there's a movie like that, that, it's, you know, people I... expected you to, of course you love it. <laughs> and you're like, inside, should I say? I really didn't.
1: No, it's movies like that that establish my credibility in the sense that I can come in and award it a C and tell people oh, I think is way too sappy, too melodramatic. Too improbable, to the whole bunch of things that I disliked about it. Though I love Clint Eastwood, I love Meryl Streep. Is it? You know, whoever is in that, I love these actors, and they without them, it's nothing. It is something with them. But even the novel was a bit sappy for me.
0: <laughs> and, and so, do you see everything?
1: <laughs> no, I don't. And, and you know, that's important to know. I try to see as many, but I I try not to see more than two movies a week. I try not to. I think it's overload. It's like when you go to a film festival, you have your nerdy buddies who will see 30 in the five days. How can you do that? I can't do more than two in one day. I'm, I'm just, it's too much and it's too much visual. Uh, people ask me, why don't I have a television? I don't have a television because when I've stopped watching and working with Audacity and doing all this that we do, sitting in front of a monitor or a screen, I want to read.
0: And I think too. Sometimes the movie has to percolate. I can remember, and I don't remember which one of the Woody Allen films uh, where the ophthalmologist is there, and he's oh, going yes. blind. There's you know the blindness, and I. It wasn't till sort of the middle of the night I woke up and I thought I get it. You know I'd left thinking, oh, I don't really think that was so great, and really you know. And so it's, it has to sort of sometimes percolate in there. Oh, I think, and, for all the pieces yeah. to and, settle into and, place.
1: And you cannot see that many films and have them all percolate. It's exactly. I will select movies that I think are substantial, and therefore I can't be watching three or four others during that week. That's exactly what's happening to me. While I write it, after I go back and I have to rewrite what I write and what I have a show about it, they are taking a long time. I can't have all these other images uh, kind of crowding out that one. Right.
0: (laughs) And is there a, a genre that is now... Sort of your favorite, or has has been steady? You said it was the westerns early on. Um, are you a Dirty Harry fan? Woody Allen is. Is there?
1: I am. I am. Uh, you've you've mentioned some good ones. I'm always for that relax- relaxation that you and I like. I always like a good thriller, and uh, I have always liked the westerns. Did that for me. Now the thrillers do that for me. I love European intrigue. I love the fast moving uh, hero. I, I, and when it can get good, uh, I'm really enjoying the characterization. Even the James Bond, for instance, has taken a nice turn, a darker turn. And I think he's bringing, Daniel Craig is bringing a weight, a heaviness to so it. So is he your favorite Bond? No, he's not. Uh, nobody. No? N- no one? Nobody can beat Sean Connery. All right. <laughs>
0: you're, so you're a purist. Oh, you are a purist. <laughs> yes. And how about uh, the role of the, the Oscars and the Golden Globes and the other film awards? How much influence do you think they have over filmmaking? And is it a positive one or a negative one? And Has that changed?
1: Um, you know, it, when they made 10 in the category of, of new films, I think they did a good thing by allowing some indies to get in there rather than just the five. I think that's done a great job. And that's why it's not so easy anymore to predict what's going to win the best film because you have several. That are good and possibility. So they've done a great job with that. Uh, Did you write that has
0: changed? You used to sort of know prior what was going to win Best Picture, and you really don't.
1: No, and I at least for this year for sure we didn't. And I think maybe the last year, Uh the Academy has done a marvelous job in promoting film, and in many cases I think they truly want to promote it as art and not just populist um, pablum. They, They have done a great job with that. A rich time of year is somewhere between November and February for me in which everybody wants to talk about the Oscars and I'm of course on top of them like I've seen every nominee and I'm able and it's it's a wonderful time for conversation for me. People want to know what do you think is the best and wasn't that great. There are movies that they have seen many of them will have will be trying to catch up on all the nominees so that by the time you get to the Oscars they're on top of it. This is This is such a rich part of our culture and most of those films are Good films, some even great. So, uh, but basically, the Academy does a decent job. You know, six thousand people. Are you going to get the highest uh, film to to make it? No, not necessarily. The most intelligent? No, not necessarily. But you're going to get really good ones. And uh, you know, th- did
0: you think Ellen did a good job hosting?
1: You know, um, f- for the first time in a long time, I had friends over and we watched the whole thing. Ellie, I have difficulty getting through all of that. I, I think she did. A, she overdid the pizza thing, you know. But but and basically, it was
0: interesting as to see who ate the pizza though, and who said, "Oh no, no, I'm not hungry." <laughs>
1: I, know. I know, and she did. You it. knew they
0: were hungry. Oh, I
1: know. You know that she does a great job. I'm not one for self congratulations. I have a, a negative side of me about film making in America and that is that everybody's in for self-congratulation. Not everybody, most of the actors are in for self-congratulation. It's part of their business to make sure that they do. But I don't believe that people who... achieve that much acclaim and make that much money need to be reminded how great they are. We are. They already know how, and we're giving them awards left, right, and upside down.
0: And have you seen films, good films get lost due to timing? Sort of a film that comes right after the Academy Awards and is too far away from the next year.
1: Uh, yes. Um, the Wes Anderson's uh, Grand Budapest Hotel has recently come out. This is by far for me one of the best films I will see this year. I know it flat out. Why, Ellie, does it come out at this time? We know this is a dumping ground between. Well, we're getting out of it now, but between January, between the Oscars and now, you're not going to get great films. And why I ask the question: Why Wes Anderson's brilliant, comedic, thoughtful, Grand Budapest Hotel? Why is it great? And I'm going to tell you why. First of all, the Academy doesn't care that much about Wes Anderson so where you're going to get something with Bill Murray in it and Owen Wilson from Wes Anderson and they're going to chuckle. It's the Royal Tenenbaums and so on. But basically, Wes Anderson's an oddball for them. And
0: and so he's not part of the clique? Well,
1: you know, I think that that it's a little too highbrow for them. So whenever you put it out, I'm going to go see it. You're going to go see it. I know people who will go see a Wes Anderson movie. So it probably doesn't make any difference. And I think it would have been lost maybe in the fall. Now, I can tell you, Ellie... Besides Dom Hemingway, the Grand Budapest Hotel is the best movie out there, and it has no peer. So if you want to see a good movie, go see that one. Don't think about any other. Another time of year in the fall when you have all these Oscar contenders coming out, I can't say that.
0: And how about Dom Hemingway just coming out with Jude uh, well, Law? And...
1: Jude Law's performance may be better than Matthew McConaughey's. Maybe better. Can you believe this is as good as McConaughey? And he won the Oscar last year and he deserved it for Dallas Buyers Club?
0: I- well, and also restoring faith in, or, or creating faith in him because I think a lot of people would sort of you know, not take him very seriously. Sort of like Leonardo DiCaprio. Oh my gosh, they're good. Yeah.
1: Well, it's not necessarily planned, but for sure his redemption, we love, as Americans, we love redemption. Mm-hmm. So when he has that and a couple of other really fine films, including a cameo in Wolf of Wall Street. that just destroys everybody else around him. He is so good. This was his year. He deserved it. He's a- now I'm telling you that while ma- many people won't see Dom Hemingway, which is about a, uh, a British cockney punk who gets out of uh, prison and has to rehab himself and, and law, is just brilliant. So here's a great film. Put out at a time of year like a Grand Budapest Hotel, I scratch my head. Uh, but it may be that we're democratizing the whole business, but I'm going to tell you, I'm afraid people will forget his performance, by the time we get to November. I'm afraid they're going to f- forget Grand Budapest Hotel, and I can't do anything about and it. And
0: will they bring it out again? Because I've noticed that a, a new phenomenon, sort of a resurgence of films, they make a new run, kind of around Oscar time. Exactly, yes, exactly. So that, yeah. that might be. Providing
1: they get nominated, but Ellie, I'm just would worried. Have to be, would have to be nominated yeah, for it. that happening, I know for, I know for distribution. Yeah, yeah. It's, but let me say this. It's a beautiful and a difficult business. The competition is extraordinary. That's why I have so much love of what they do, and even as I haven't done some acting myself, I just so admire film actors.
0: So I was going to ask you that. Yeah. Has there been a point or points in the last 20, 30, 40 years or your whole life of being involved in film where you thought, oh, I'd like to be up on that screen or I'd like to be behind the camera, or, I'd like to be writing that script?
1: No, and, you know, I'm, I, I have a couple of kids who are in that business, and I'm so happy that they're not in front of the screen. I think that's where the most frustration comes. But the ones who are really good, such as I was just mentioning, Jude Law... Think about this, Ellie. That camera is on top of your face, and every movement of your face means something. In most cases, as opposed to a stage actor, you have to pull back. You have to underplay, and yet you still have to use your face. This is what a gift to be able to do this. such a demanding medium. Uh, But for the business itself, behind the camera is where the action is, where the permanence is. And I think we're a lot of satisfaction And comes.
0: so would you like to be there? Are there moments? I
1: would very much have liked in another life maybe to have been a director. I think that would have been more enjoyable. But when I look at uh, and see how people like Johnny Depp don't direct and get into movies that are questionable choices for them, I, I, just, I just can't understand. But then I do understand. To put together a film taking two years of your life... It, with the difficulties of the number of artists that you, it's a collaborative effort that you have to deal with. Very different skills. I could see where Johnny Depp says, look, it, I'll find a good script, do it, and act it, and I'm not going to get involved in all the intricacies. of." I mean, what happened to Kevin Costner when he did Dances with Wolves? What promise as a director?
0: Oh, but then he did The Postman. So don't I don't he... know. Whatever happened to him, I think he's well-deserved.
1: Oh, boy. I think he got really lazy. Yeah, but I think one of the, some of the stuff that I'm talking about is the demand. He can make millions as an actor. Why? Why should he get? Well, the artistry would be the reason why he get. If you can do anything as beautiful as Dances with the Wolves, yeah. you know you have a you have a, a command to, to put together. Some, and
0: then that too, right? You can do something fabulously, and then you, some the next thing's not so good, and you're cut off at the <sighs> knees. It's uh, brutal out there. Ellie, what
1: is some somebody the other day was saying uh, for a film was saying okay, that's that director's pass. Every brilliant gets it one. Gets, it well, gets at least that's, that's
0: thoughtful. <laughs> so, yes. so one last question, John. I want to ask, how has film affected your, relation, your personal relationships in your life? Has it been something that has been sort of, you think, an, an additive or, or a, a distractor or a subtractor?
1: Uh, it has seriously enhanced my life. I mentioned traveling, for instance, and being able to start conversation. The way you, on a date, you might be able to do that because you don't know where to begin. Movies are a great way of beginning. For my personal relationships, even with my children, they form a part of our connection and uh, a great joy when we all have seen the same film and we're able to talk about it. It is. And
0: you, did you drag them all to the movies when they oh, were little? Oh, we did.
1: We did. And your Star Wars, I took them to that before anybody knew it was going to be great. We were living in Boston. I took the whole tri- I had six of them. We t- I took the whole tribe, and they were just young kids. And you know, they, they had not hyped it much when it came out. So what is this thing? What is this movie? We went to see it. It's like Rocky. you know. And, and my son never forgets that experience that we went. Yeah. Any you took your t- kids to that maybe in
0: hindsight were, were not the best uh, a, decision?
1: Yes, I made a big mistake once. Uh, I, I was running a film series at my first college where I was teaching, and I had to go in and set the movie up on a Saturday morning, and I brought my daughter Thea, who turned out to be a screenwriter. And, very, and this
0: may be why. So I, you're I, casting so, it as a negative. No, but. listen,
1: no. So I, she, I had her while I was putting together a Clockwork Orange. And after the rape scene, I suddenly realized that my seven-year-old daughter was sitting here. Now, my first wife, of course, has never forgotten this. It's (laughs) it's been a great boon to her. It comes up again and again. It's been very useful. (laughs) Right, it's been very useful for her. But when I took Thea to Harold and Maude, she said, Uh, that this was the most influential movie in our life.
0: We saw it seven times. And I think Billy Jack 11. And I saw Dr. Zhivago when I was eight. Oh,
1: good for you. So you do come from that background. So you can understand. It
0: was the 60s and 70s. It's not your fault, John. You can't be held responsible. I know,
1: I know. So anyway, yes, uh, there have been some things that I have done that were questionable. But in the case of Thea, maybe that turned out really well.
0: And it's something you all share.
1: Oh, yes, it is.
0: Well, thank you so much for joining me. Do you have a sign-off for any of the the uh, movie shows that I we used can... to
1: have? I used to have this sign-off. I don't have any more, but I might just give it to you now. Yes, I'm out of here.
0: <laughs> and go to let's go to the movies. <laughs> well, thank you. It's fake. I say done work
1: waking up, pay me up, find a five, five to one, one to eight thirty in the morning. Give me five more for my me time, pray at work. Give me five more for my knees time. I don't even need rhymes. I supply rhythm, it's given equations, exes. I'm letting the sentences run like the period was a cop car.